0: Father, we do want to thank you that grace is when you give us the things we don't deserve and mercy is when you don't give us what we do deserve. Thank you for that song that we have sung that helps us to understand tonight. So as we study the Bible in Exodus chapter 32, please help us to understand how gracious and merciful you are. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 32, bit of a marathon, you're going to have to listen all the way through, but then think, what is it that's unfair in this story? Exodus chapter 32 verse 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves to Aaron and said to him, up, let us make gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off your rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord and they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned quickly aside out of the way that I commanded them And they've made for themselves a golden calf. And have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them. And I may consume them. In order that I make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt with a great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains? and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offering as the stars of heaven and all this land that I promised, I will give to your offspring. Offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimonies in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written, the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But Moses said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. As soon as they came came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them and Aaron said let not the anger of my lord burn hot you know the people that they are set on evil for they said to me let us make gods who shall go before us as to this Moses the man who brought us up of the land of Egypt we don't know what's become of him so I said to them let any who have gold take it off And so they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came the scarf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each one of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day about three thousand men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. So Moses returned to the Lord and said Alas this people has sinned a great sin They have made for themselves gods of gold But now if you will forgive their sin But if not Blot me out of the book that you have written But the Lord said to Moses Whoever has sinned against me I will blot out of my book But now go Lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron had made. We stop there. The children are going to go to their group and uh, we'll carry on after they leave. we prayed, we've read, and uh, the children have gone. So uh, let's think about this chapter that we just read from the Bible. And let me ask you, if this was the only bit of the Bible that you've ever read, that you've got to go on, what does it tell you about God? What kind of God do you think comes across? in that chapter that we just read. You might think a very angry God because uh, his red-hot anger burns, it says that. Well, yes, he is angry. But did you notice the one thing that was not fair? Did you spot it when I read? I asked you to keep a lookout for what wasn't fair. What wasn't fair, Abigail? There you go. Abigail hits the button on the point. Bullseye. Why is it that Aaron, who was the guy who made the golden calf, nothing bad happens to him? So you might just think, okay, but if Aaron gets away lightly, maybe God is not angry enough. Should have included Aaron as well. Well, we're going to be looking at this chapter tonight and we're going to work out what is it that pushes God's buttons to make him angry. And we're going to work out why is God not as angry (coughs) as he could be. And we're going to work out what is this about God changing his mind? Does God do stuff like that? Well, let's uh, find out and go to what uh, we might say uh, is uh, an angry God, and we go past that and see what is it that makes him angry. And I put it here on the screen, it is the reshaping of God. Now last week we saw how God had given special instructions how he could live with his people And the way that was going to happen is they were going to take what he said and put them in a box of gold. With that gold, they were going to make this box called the Ark and what God said was going to go into that box. It would help them to remember what God said. But now they use all that gold for another purpose. They use it to make this golden calf, which is the opposite of what God said to do. And they disobey God with the gold rather than obey him. And it's amazing that they would do such a thing. Because if you think, if you were there at the time, you look at the diary and you say, it's only a few months ago when we were all in the land of Egypt, we were slaves, and God brought us out in this incredible show of strength and miraculous parting of the Red Sea. And we came through. And God was really amazing when he did that. And then more than that, he kept us alive, going through a desert with food and drink. And then more than that, he actually met us just the other day on this mountain and he spoke to us and we realised what a great and awesome God he is. Now how come after God had done all that, you turn the page and they've gone and forgotten it all. But if you look closely at the page, they haven't quite forgotten because they still have this God in their minds. If you look at verse 1, you can see that they still want a God who will go in front of them the way that the real God had done so far. And they want uh, a God to go before them. So they still want this uh, new God to operate the same way as the other one. And they realize that they uh, worship the God who brings them out of the land of Egypt I know in verse 4 it says uh, these are your gods, plural. Some versions say God, singular. Whatever it is they're worshipping, they're saying that this has done what God has done. So they've still got the same God, as it were, in their sights. And uh, uh, they uh, uh, have this. They're going to sacrifice to the Lord, So it's still very much in their minds that the Lord is who they want to be thinking about, but they have reshaped Him. And they've reshaped God in one important way. The thing that they didn't like about God that they found really scary, the thing that they really found scary about God was that God speaks. And if you look at uh, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 19, uh, that really frightened them. So in Exodus chapter 20 verse 19, they say to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Uh, They didn't want to speak in God. So what they do is they make up another God and this gold calf speaks of life and power but doesn't speak. And so they've reshaped their God to look a bit like the one they had, but this one's not going to say anything to them. And when you have a God who is silent, you know what comes next? When you have a God who is silent, you can do whatever you want. And he's not going to contradict you. And that's exactly what they did. It says at the bottom of the page, if you look in verse 6, they rose up early the next day, they offered burnt offerings, and they brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Rose up to play is Bible polite speak. Okay? What it really means is that they are having a hair down orgy. That is really what's going on. Okay? Okay? They are playing in that sort of game. And so that's uh, what they want to do. And Moses, when he comes down from the mountain in verse 19, he dashes the commandments that he had in his hands, in a way showing what these guys had done in verse 6. Because what had happened in verse 6 is they had essentially taken what God had said and with their silent God had dashed what God had said so God has said no Uh, other gods they've got another God no images where they've got this gold calf Uh, honor the name of honor the the Lord's name Well, they've certainly not done that no sexual immorality and it's full on so in a sense they've broken up the commandments of God you might say okay they didn't break them all But actually, I think probably if you look at it closely, you can say they've came pretty close. And another thing to remember is that the commandments of God aren't, if I could put it like this, like bricks. You can take some of the ones you don't like and put them behind your back and say, "Okay, well, I'm not going to do those. But look, I'm still keeping these bricks in front of me. I'm still keeping these commands, aren't I? No, the commandments of God aren't like bricks where you can choose some and lose others. The commandments of God are like a pane of glass. If you shatter one, you break the whole thing. And they have dashed the commandments of God and uh, have uh, uh, put them uh, to one side. Uh, It's not going to uh, tell them what to do. And the difficulty with that is that when we dash the commandments of God, what's normally happened before that? is we have trashed the fact that God is good. And that's what's really seriously awful about uh, what's going on here. They're bashing God's and trashing God's generosity. They take, for example, what he did uh, in rescuing them from Egypt and that's kind of God's signature move in the Old Testament. They take the greatest thing that God has done and they say actually, this did it. They take the credit that is due to God and they give it to something else instead. God's done all this, they trash the generosity by saying, no, 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 this did it. And uh, we're going to put this God's substitute in our place. Now, we don't actually have golden calves that we use as a God substitute, but there's loads of other stuff that we say, okay, see this thing here? This is going to give us the joy that God alone can give us. And so what happens is that uh, we take the good things that God has given us and we say, okay, this is what I'm going to live for. In their case, they did it with gold, and they, uh, they basically put this uh, uh, idol up and they said, okay, uh, this is what's going to give us joy, the security we want in the future. This is what we're looking to for our whole meaning and purpose in life. This is what we can't do without. And they've taken what God has given them and they've said, this has given this joy to us. And the Apostle Paul uh, put this really well when he describes what's going on in uh, Romans chapter 1. I'll tell you what page number it is. (coughs) We'll go there together. Romans chapter 1 and uh, verses 21 to 23. It's on page uh, 939. I'll give you a moment to find it. Page 939. Romans chapter 1, in verse 21 to 23. It's a passage that starts in verse 18, with the wrath of God being revealed. In other words, whilst pushing his buttons. And and so in verse 21 it says, For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God, or give thanks to him, But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They take the glory of the real God and they say, no, this is what's going to give us the joy that we're looking for in our lives. Now, they did that with a golden calf, but we do it in much more subtle and sophisticated ways. So we'll take the jobs that we do, and we live for that. We say, this is what's going to give us the joy. Or our hobbies, this is what's going to give us the joy that uh, will keep us going. Or we will take our families, uh, maybe a special relationship we have with somebody, or maybe our children, and we look to them and we say, this is what will give us our joy. We take God's gifts and we turn them into God's. We live for them and we can't live without them. And it never, never pays to do that because you know what happens at the end of the story? Moses takes this gold calf and he grinds it into dust. He puts it in the water and he makes them drink it. And so the idol that they once thought was fantastic and good, now makes them go, yuck, this makes me sick. And sadly, that actually happens again and again in life. I remember about over 20 years ago, talking to a young mum and dad who just had their first child. And they doted on this child so much. I said, look, this child has become an idol for you. Everything about your life revolves around this child. Be careful. Well, they didn't particularly want to uh, think that through themselves at the time, but let me tell you, 17 years later, that girl grew up and walked out of her mum and dad, broke their hearts, made them sick with sadness. The idols that we look to for our joy usually end up, whatever we put in God's place and say, this is going to do it for me, usually, whatever that God substitute is, Turns around and sucks the life out of us, and leaves us feeling terrible afterwards. We get heartbroken and sad, and so they learnt that lesson as uh, they drank their gold and uh, got uh, ill on it, and um, and that is what happens when we reshape God, and that is what happens when I forget to tell you what I was. What the buttons I was going to press as I went along but there they are they thought they'd forgotten God and uh, they trash God's generosity when they break God's commandments and the gold idol becomes everything that's where they want to get their joy from sorry uh, people listening to this on the tape will wonder why on earth uh, I go and recap but I'm just describing pictures on the screen that I should have put up earlier Let's go on to the next one, which is the mercy of God. Now, you might have said, Mike, I think we've got different Bibles because um, my Bible doesn't tell me that God is merciful. My Bible tells me that God is angry. And you listen to that story again and you can see just how angry he is. First thing he does in verse 7 is he distances himself from, from, from those people. He says to Moses, Moses, these are your people. And then in verse 9 he says, these are stiff-necked people. And then in verse 10 he says, come on, leave me alone so I can unleash my wrath on these people. And we know by the end of the chapter, the 3,000 of them die. And he's saying God is merciful? Really? Yeah, really. Because when I say that someone is merciful... I don't mean merciful means, hey, it doesn't matter what you've done, it's okay. That's not mercy, that's just indifference. No, mercy is when you feel massively angry, but you do not fully act on those feelings of anger. And you hold back your anger and do something else instead. And that's what happens here. You actually see the face of God is merciful. And it all revolves around the way that God puts what we might call a mediator, a middleman, in front of him. And Moses is there. And you can see that uh, the Lord tells Moses in verse 7 that everybody is implicated in what has happened. They've all turned away from God, every single one of them. And so uh, God tells Moses that. But if you look at the way God is talking, what he's saying to Moses is actually kind of provoking Moses to pray for them he gives them lines or he gives Moses lines if you like to speak to him so look at that uh, uh, amazing uh, verse 10 where God says to Moses come on let me alone that my wrath might burn hot against them in other words, Moses, I, I, I can't do anything until you, until you let me alone. So let me alone so I can go do it. In other words, you know what he's really saying, is it? He's dropping massive hints to say, you know, Moses, a few prayers may not go amiss at this point. He's telling Moses, look, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy everyone. Uh, but you need to, you, you need to let me. So uh, that's what I'm going to do now, Moses. I'm telling you what I'm going to do, uh, but I can only do it if you let me. So is there anything you want to say to me on this subject, Moses? Uh, Moses, uh, do you want to, to say anything that might might stop that? Uh, go on, I'm listening. So God is feeding Moses lines, so Moses can come back and talk to him. And uh, that's what Moses does. He listens to God saying in verse 7, this is your people who you brought out of Egypt going here." Uh, and Moses feels, takes that line and he feeds it back in verse 11. and says, ah, God, no, no, these are your people. You brought them out of the land of Egypt. They are precious to you. You wouldn't have done that unless they were precious to you. Don't forget how precious they are. They are your people. He says that in verse 11 and then in verse 12 he says, and God, look, your reputation rides on this, you know. What are people going to think? You brought these people out of Egypt just to kill them? Is that the kind of reputation you want, God? Don't think so. And then in verse 13, this is a masterstroke, isn't it? He says, remember what you said to Abraham, Isaac and Israel. Remember, you swore a promise to them by yourself. Now look, these people down the bottom mountain, they might go dashing your commands and dashing your words and trashing your generosity. But God, you, don't, you can't become like them. You, you, you said something, you can't go dashing what you said. They, they can dash what you said, you can't dash what you said. Remember what you said to Abraham, Isaac and Israel? Well, you've got to stand by what you said there, don't you? And so God changes his mind. And there you are. People pounce on that and they say, that's the mark of a weak God, isn't it? If a God changes his mind, that means he, he's, he's too weak to tell you what's going to happen in the first place, and then someone says something, and then he's got to go and do a U-turn. But I think you can only say that if you look at verse 14 without looking at verse 13. Verse 13 is where God tells you what his plan A is. He told Abraham and Isaac and Israel... That they will inherit this land and their offspring will be like the stars of heaven. So there's Moses and his praying, and there's the promise that he made to Abraham saying, Your kids are going to be as many as the stars. That's what God intends to do with this people. So what happens in verse 14. Is God is saying, "I'm going to stick with Plan A." He hasn't changed his mind about what he said to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He's going to see it through, and therefore God is going to uh, take His uh, wonderful mediator and use the mediator's prayer to put aside His anger and to bring mercy in order that he can keep up with the original promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Marshall, they're through there. If you go into if you go into the kitchen, they'll be there. Through there. Follow, follow them. They'll lead the way. I don't know if they know what's going to hit them, but there you are. There, there. They're waiting. So, Moses is a brilliant mediator. He's saying to God, look, I want to stand here between you and the people who deserve your anger and I want to persuade you to bless them. Now, Moses in that is being a perfect pointer to the Lord Jesus. I don't mean really perfect A point to the Lord Jesus because what happens with Moses in uh, verse uh, 32 is he said, God punish me, don't punish them. But of course that wouldn't work because Moses is a sinner so God can't say, okay, I'll do you and not them. But what he is doing (coughs) is he's pointing out to the perfect mediator Jesus who will come and say, okay, let your red hot anger burn against me and that's what happened when Jesus died on the cross and he took the hit for what others had done in order that he was uh, blotted out of life and the people that he mediated for could live and because of that mediator God is massively merciful and so mercy means that God doesn't fully act on his anger the way that he should have done now remember they all deserve to die and uh, 3,000 of them did die you can't play with this God and dash his commandments and think that he will just uh, look past it but at the same time, as Abigail said, Aaron didn't die. And that is, you might say, unfair. Because after all, he is the one at the top of page 73 where Moses said, Why did, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin on them? In the last verse, that's underlined again, he said, the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. So you took Aaron should be the one who pays the biggest penalty of all. And yet, the way it works with the mercy of God is that he will still, however great the sinner is, he is still able to look at that sinner and say, no, I am going to punish my son, but I will not punish you. And a wonderful place that, that puts it uh, p- puts that into into uh, uh, the picture is uh, in uh, a place called uh, Romans chapter nine. We looked at Romans chapter one. This is just a few pages beyond that, and page nine four five, page nine four five, and uh, Romans chapter nine, where nearly at the end. So just have a look at this and uh, see what the Bible says. Romans chapter 9 and verse 15 where God says to Moses I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. if everybody here in this room deserves to die under God's judgment but out of this room full of people God decides that the right hand side he will have mercy on this side then don't please think that God is unfair in a bad way because everybody deserves to die But if he chooses out of all who deserve to die to save some that is a great act of mercy because they should die too so it is an amazing thing that aaron should live to show the great mercy of god so what can we learn from that as we finish first maybe you're someone who's new to christianity and uh, it may be that uh, you're kind of trying to understand what is, is there a God in the first place, and if there is, and what kind of God is he like? And how will how I really make sense of anything? Can I suggest there's just one thing that you need? You don't need a mega brain or anything like that. You just need one thing, and that is humility. Humility to see that actually the way we've lived our lives in the past, we have dashed God's commands. You might think we haven't dashed them all, but like I said, you smash one and you break the lot. And what might really help you to go the full mile with the humility is to understand that when we dash God's commands, what we're really doing is we're trashing His generosity. We've taken the good things that God has given us and we've not really thought that God is that generous. We've gone and looked at the good things that he's given us and said, wow, that is the thing that's making me happy in my life. And so we're not really thinking about the goodness of God, we're thinking about the goodness of whatever it is that we're living for. It's a terrible thing when we take the credit that is due to God and we give it to something else instead. And it may be that you're someone who God has helped to be humble because in some small way God might have got you to get sick on the God substitutes that you put in place of him. So in a different sort of way maybe with you, he has kind of ground the idol into the water and made you drink it and you felt unwell. In other words, you've come to see that that idol isn't as golden as you thought. Now is the day to do a reality check on your life and say, actually, that is what I've done with God. I've dashed his commands, I've trashed his generosity, and I deserve God to be angry with me. And I'll tell you why you can be honest like that. You can be honest like that with God because you can be honest like that with someone who is merciful. If there was someone who's going to pay you back what you deserve you won't want to admit what your life has been like in the past because well it'll only get disapproval coming your way but with a merciful God you can be honest about yourself about your life and you can say God I have failed you really badly because you know that the person you're talking to is a God who is merciful. He's not going to throw it back in your face and say, now I'm going to get you. What he says is, now I've got a mediator who has taken uh, the punishment that you deserve. Now I'm going to love you. Now I'm going to forgive you. But please, whatever happens, don't go back to the old life of pushing those buttons again to make God angry. It's... Not like you can play games like that with God. The second lesson that we might want to uh, uh, think about is maybe for those people who have been around churches before, I think it's really interesting to see that actually it is church people who have done the reshaping of God in this chapter. Not the outsiders, these are the people who kind of know what God has done and they're the ones who have reshaped God and put a zip in his mouth And our difficulty is that, yes, uh, we can um, say all the right things about what God has done. We can, we can say, yes, this is the God that brought people out of the land of Egypt. This is the God who rescued people on the cross. We can, we can say all those things. We know our history in that sense. But when it comes to listening to what God does, what tells us what to do with our gold, we're happy to do the opposite of that. And when it comes to what God tells us about the area of sex, well, again, it doesn't matter. We'll keep him silent on that one as well. And what we do is we end up in this, uh, this kind of dual life where we expect God to continue doing us favours and to go before us and so on, while all the time we're pressing the buttons that make him angry and bring his judgement down on us because we have reshaped him. And in certain key areas we will not listen to what he says. We need to be uh, learning that uh, uh, humble lesson in church as well. But what happens if you are a genuine believer? What happens if you know that you push God's buttons to make him angry? But what happens if you equally know that he is a merciful God? What can this part of the Bible tell us tonight? I want to suggest that we begin to see ourselves as Aaron. The one who deserved God's anger and the one who was not punished because God punished someone else. Now, I think there's a big difference between the Christian and the non-Christian in this way. The non-Christian will experience suffering and say, why God? Because they don't think they deserve the suffering that's come. The Christian goes the other way. The Christian looks at the good things that come to them the generosity of God and, and says why God I don't deserve this I deserve judgment instead that's what Aaron would say from now on when God was going to use him he is going to be the high priest of Israel God has got a very important part for him to play in the history of his people you would expect Aaron to say, but why me God I'm the one who let you down so badly And the important thing, if we are genuine believers, is that we learn to live, if you like, with our air and heads on, saying, I deserve the great judgment of God. And I have instead received the great mercy of God. But please, as I said before, don't go back to pushing the buttons. Because in the New Testament, this is the last thing, and we'll finish here, Uh, Just turn one last time to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 7 to 12. That is on page 957. Use your last ounce of energy to turn over to page 957 and uh, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 And verses 7 to 12. Because what Paul, the Apostle, the New Testament man is saying is, remember Exodus chapter 32, the bit that we've been looking at tonight. And these are the lessons I want you to draw from Exodus chapter 32. Ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. Paul says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. That's another episode. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Another episode. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. I think what that might mean in a practical way for us and what I think I'm going to try and to myself so I can remember this better, is remember Exodus chapter 32 and the way people let God down and the way that God acted with anger towards them. Remember that day, not as if it happened 4,000 years ago, remember that day as if it happened yesterday. And you're always living the day after Exodus chapter 32 and when we live in that frame of mind then we are going to take the judgment of God seriously and it will help us because that awareness will help us to live our lives safely. So remember to be rejoicing with the rejoicing of an Aaron. The man who deserved all God's judgment but it went to somebody else instead. Live in that frame of mind and joy but live in the care of the God who does get angry when we reshape him. It will be a pity if having learnt this we want to go back and do this ourselves. So let's remember that, let's pray and let's take questions that we might have. And uh, let's uh, seek God together. Let's talk to him about what we've heard tonight. But our minute is up, so let me pray as we finish. Our Lord God, we do want to thank you that we can be honest with you and say it like it is and not pretend that we're better than we are because you are the God of mercy. And we thank you that you have a mediator who you listen to, whose blood was shed for us, and because of whom we may know your forgiveness and love, rather than the searing anger that we deserve. We pray that you would please help us to live this week as Aaron would have done the day after this instant amazed that you would spare him and that you would still use him in your purposes please will you help us to be humble errands in our praise to take every good thing that happens to us with a note of surprise that you are gracious to us when we have let you down please keep us we pray uh, in new joy in your presence because of what we've heard today. For the glory of your name we ask. Amen. Amen.